All right, welcome to another episode of the Gives a Spell podcast. A little series we're doing, uh, shooting the shit with a couple of jocks. We're going to get a couple of jocks and a couple of trainers aboard. Um, today's jockey, Timmy Clark. So many people know Timmy Clark. He's had a great day today it went on Wednesday. He went to Rose Hill for a couple of rides and got a couple of double-figure horses signed, which was really nice. And also, everyone knows that uh, had a good time down in Melbourne uh, with Alligator Blood, which was enormous. But, um, mate, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, good. No, nice to be on the show. It's always good to to do these things with you know people that are obviously love the game and that. So it's nice to have a have a chat. Tell us about those rides today, mate. You went there for how many rides? Three. Got home two of them, both at double figures. Yep, and and probably the one I thought would run the best didn't, which <laughs> is uh, the first one. So no, two actually two really progressive horses. The the two horse I rode. Obviously, one was a first starter. Um, done a good job winning a what looked a pretty deep maiden leading into it. And the grey horse, an import from Ireland, come out of Joseph O'Brien's yard, two wins over 2,400 over there, kicked off his Australian career in good style today, winning that 1,800. And it was a really solidly run 1,800, probably worked into his favour, but he's a really strong stayer. And I think you'll see him sort of go through the grades as well and, and I think you can get to a, a good level. What do we um What do we make of on the weekend, mate? Did um Did the race go according to plan? I know you're up against the likes of some big names there in Zaki and Mister Brightside and Thunderstruck and stuff. But you know, you found the front and the rest is history. Did it all go really well for you? Yeah, he did. He um you know it was a it was a good race. I know that it wasn't a big field, but I thought you know it was an exciting race. It was an exciting race to be a part of. And he uh yeah, I thought he his merits on on the weekend he had to sustain a bit of pressure there well firstly early Mwanga you know began well but he I was able to sort of work through and and take it up and I I was able to sort of try and get a couple of cheaper sectionals but sort of Zaki did keep me pretty honest there I thought and especially um coming to you know passing the 650 she uh Jamie Carr on Zaki she did apply the pressure and sort of gave gave alligator blood the stare there approaching the turn and it was uh it was game on early yeah. and uh he was really strong though late you know first time out beyond a mile you know on a big sort of roomy track like sand down and i thought he uh he'd come out uh come out on top pretty convincingly how good to me and um congrats on the g1 victory i think i mean it's a small field five horses but you have to remember between the five horses there was what, probably close to 12 group ones between you. So it's no slouch of a field at all. And, you know, congrats on the victory and everything. And was that safe to say your first G1 down at Victoria? Yeah, it was. So I've, um, yeah, I guess like the only horse, the only real top line horse at that level, weight for age level missing was probably Enemo. Um, you know, he's going to come on the scene next time. And Douay, she's probably heading to a more of sort of the cups path. So, there's probably not a lot of new blood to join that list of weight for age horses maybe going towards a, a Cox plate. So that's no, exciting times ahead for him. And yeah, first, first group one down in Melbourne, which is very satisfying. Good to get the, the monkey off my back. I've been close a few times and, and none closer than two weeks prior when he, he got run down in the Maccabi Diva. So uh, it was nice to tick that box in Melbourne. So I've uh, been lucky enough to be able to ride a group one winner in, each straight, each each state in Australia now. 
is it safe to say that you'll be uh, sticking on board him come Cox Plate Day, mate? Yeah, so he uh, he runs again in the uh, the Might and Power, sort of two weeks between runs and then two weeks into the Cox Plate. So, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, everything goes to plan. He, he gets there in, in good order on the day and be my first ride in the Cox Plate. So looking forward to that. I guess, finally, with Alligator Blood, I mean, you've won, what, uh, 21 Group 1s now, I think, and, I mean, he seems to keep just getting better and better. And where does he rank within the Group 1 horses you've ridden? And I guess is it even more special now that, you know, your affinity with Gay, Gay Waterhouse, champion trainer herself, is that does that make it even more special? Yeah, it's always it's it's. I think it's very satisfying um, winning the big races for Gay and Adrian to repay that that faith that they've shown in me for for a large number of years now. So um, that's always good. Where he ranks, I guess I probably haven't had a, a horse like a weight for age, proper weight for age horse, really. You know, to compete in, in these races, you know, before so. You know, for him to be able to be that horse, it's um, yeah, it's exciting. He definitely rates rates right up there with with the horses I've I've ridden, no doubt. Like he uh, winner, Group One winner at three, obviously had that sort of back operation, that kissing spine, which is pretty gnarly, gnarly operation. And you know, he's had that time off. He was sort of in the wilderness for a while, but then he's all of a sudden he's burst onto the scene brilliant winning a Stradbroke. Now he's extending that out sort of 1,800 and, and possibly beyond. So he uh, he's a pretty fair animal. He's got one of the great names. So I think everyone loves the name Alligator Blood. But, mate, we, we did a little bit of research on you and what we try and do is just get a bit of background of where you are, how you actually got into the game and stuff. So uh, you grew up Riverina. You got a bunch of brothers and you got a bunch of siblings, right? So was being a jockey something you sort of – let's say primary school age was it ever something you thought about yes i'm the youngest of youngest of six so uh, yeah, yeah there's a few of us there so i guess from probably uh 13 14 was probably when i uh first started to think that well i wasn't getting gonna wasn't gonna be big enough to be a footy player so that that um that was one thing but my brother brad uh he he sort of he started his apprenticeship Oh, probably when I was about 12, 11, 12 or something like that. So uh, watched him go into the industry and, you know, obviously then you start going to the races with mum and dad and go watch him and that sort of thing. And, and yeah, so probably from sort of 12, 13-ish, I sort of thought, yeah, that looks pretty good. I spent some time with him in school holidays down where he was apprentice. So then just sort of, yeah, once I got to sort of, you know, the last year or two of school, yeah, my focus was well and truly on becoming a jockey. And a lot of the jockeys that I've spoken to sort of have the same the same idea you just said is when we sort of think about becoming a jockey at the age of 13, 14, it's pretty much chips in being a jock, right? So school, you know, it's great, but it's not not, not your focus anymore. Your, your focus is to be an elite sportsman and try and make it, right? So did school go to a bit to the, bit to the side? I wasn't great, at, I guess, at it, but... Um... I still, I guess I still thought, oh, well, I've got X amount of time until I finish. Yeah. And then once I'm finished, this is my next step. So I, I still think I, I got through and done what I had to. And yeah, but I, you know, there was a finishing line of, of school when, when I was going to be finished there. And 
once once that was done, it uh, yeah, it was it was it was always on to the next chapter. Was was it a little bit confronting starting the apprenticeship? I mean, you saw your brother obviously go through the ranks of apprenticeship and riding and yeah, you know, early track work and you know, obviously it's not kind of like your day to day job. So was it a little bit of a shock to yourself, or were you just kind of in communication, I guess, with your brother constantly about this is what you need to do. You need to have the right mindset going forward. And was he pretty much the mentor that, you know, going through the ranks, I guess? Yeah, well, I guess we're both really lucky um, that where we did, we both obviously had the same the same master, uh, same boss as apprentices. So we're lucky that we, we ended up with Peter and Nera Clancy at Leeton. So really like they took us in like we were part of the family, you know, like treat us like, an, you know, their own kids. So, and I'd experienced that before moving there, as I said, by going down in school holidays and for work experience, and that sort of stuff, stuff too. I, I got that experience already. So that made the transition sort of moving away from home um, much easier when, yeah, well, as I said, we'll just take it in like part of the family. And, you know, out in the bush, I guess, uh, the, the time, the track work, you know, a bit more laid back, sort of six o'clock sort of starts. So not quite as uh, early as in the, in the big smoke. But, it, yeah, I was lucky that I had them people in my life. And when, when did you first, what year did you first start? Because I read that, you know, in 2006 you became the New South Wales champion apprentice so obviously a little time before that but when did you first you know get stuck stuck in start your apprenticeship what year was it i think i had my first race ride about a about a month after i turned 17 so it would have been in 2003 wow yeah um it took me could be 17 i think it was my 17th go to to get my first winner um that was at at gundagai snake gully cup day see Um, yeah so on pouring rain, the race has actually got called off after I won like race three or four or something like that. So, and it probably took took a little bit of time to get going. So over the next three or four months, you'd get a winner here and there, and then I guess once I'd ridden sort of five or ten, then things start to started to really snowball. Um, sort of riding, you know, starting to ride sort of winners regularly, yeah, and. I probably probably sort of 18 months and may have sort of outridden my country claim in the first, yeah, probably 18 months or so. It's awesome. So that 2006 year, you, it was the same sort of group with Josh and Ty, is that right? Yeah, so that was – so I moved to um, – I, I moved down to Sydney. That would have been the year, yeah. And um, I got down here. It was the start of the year, sort of January, February. I come down to – I was moved my apprenticeship to John O'Shea at Randwick. Um, that year, that last six months of the season, I actually um, rode 30 odd winners to win the premiership in that sort of six month period. And then the next season was when um, Josh, Ty, and myself had sort of that battle. I think we both, we all three of us rode sort of over maybe 50 or maybe even over 60 winners for the season, all three of us. Yeah. Um, and Ty won it. In 2007, he won the premiership. How, how good um, to hear, Tim. But um, just going back to the whole, I guess, John O'Shea part, being a country boy and everything else, it, how was was it a bit of a shock moving to the big smoke? Like it's 
it's a lot to take in and, you know, being a country hoop and everything, you know, you're doing a lot of traveling and moving around and meeting a lot of faces whilst coming in the big smoke. It's just, it's a different level, isn't it? Quite confronting, I think anyway. Yeah. I, I, like I guess on, on moving down to Sydney, I was, I coped pretty well. My, um, I said my brother, he actually won champion country apprentice when, you know, when, whenever, whatever year that was. And as part of that, doing that he he actually uh the prize was to come to sydney for three months to to ron quinton and he uh he come down here and he lasted three weeks and went home hated sydney (laughs) so where i was sort of a bit the opposite i um i didn't mind it i i sort of uh pretty easy going in that that regard i was able to i just um didn't really worry me uh moving to sydney i sort of yeah cope with that transition well i so the same again we you know there was a lot of discussion as to where exactly i would go there was a couple of trainers that um were interested and um yeah landed on john i was able to i didn't have to live at the stables that was sort of one thing i didn't want to do i was i wanted to be able to be away from the stable so that it wasn't sort of just um just there 24 7 so that allowed me to sort of get away from from the stables and get away from it a little bit. I think that that helped also. But um, as far as living down here, yeah, I cope really well. It was the same when I, you know, obviously I went to to Hong Kong later on and same sort of thing living over there. That sort of didn't worry me whatsoever. So let's, I'll, I'll touch on that. So what was it like? Quite a lot of jockeys have gone and spent time over there. And what's the, do you feel any, any added pressure? I was listening to a couple of races and it's funny listening to Darren, call your races when he when he was used to call there as well but what was it like riding over there is it a different completely different style like i've, I've never been to hong kong i'd love to do Tin and stuff one day but it just seems like a completely different vibe to i guess ramwick right yeah i guess you know going over there i was probably a, you know the opportunity come up i was probably a little bit young really um i think i was only like 23 so it's probably a bit young but as i said there was a great opportunity at the time to to go over there and I spent nearly two seasons there, but oh, they just, they love their racing and, and they treat every race like a Melbourne cup pretty much. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so the pressures, like there's a lot more pressure on over there. Um, I feel though that Sydney now, because of the depth of riders and the prize money, it, it, it's sort of starting to creep up to, to be a bit like that, like the pressure on you each race where, when I went to Hong Kong, like you could ride a horse and it could run really well and run second or third. And you think, well, this will win next start, but it's unlikely you're going to be on it because Douglas White would bring up and, you know, he'd get on it. Like at the time he was, you know, 10, 11 premierships in a row. Um, yeah. You know, you, you start down the bottom, you're the very uh, small fish in a big pond and you have to, doesn't matter what you've done back in Australia, your reputation means nothing when you go over there. You've got to, you know, re-establish yourself. So that was um, not hard to take, but it was it was something new. Where you know, over here, if you rode a horse, you, you're like, okay, good run, yeah. ready next time. You know, you'd be on it. Where over yeah. there, it's yeah, it didn't work like that. You, um, yeah, you get whipped off them pretty quickly if if uh, as I said, like Preble was going well over there, he sort of challenged. Dougie a couple of years prior 
and Zach was just starting to to sort of really build some some momentum. Um, Darren was over there at the time, and you know I still probably rate him. You know, out of all the riders I rode against over there, he he was probably the the best over there. But um, he was stable rider to John Moore, so didn't sort of get the opportunity to to probably win a premiership. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Tim. How does that jockey's room over in Hong Kong, which is essentially a world stage, where, like you mentioned, we're coming to a world stage kind of as we stand right now. How does it compare? Uh, is the John, uh, Sydney jockey's room competitive and stronger than ever, as you kind of see it? Yeah, it is at the moment. It is right now, definitely, and probably has been for the past couple of seasons. I think the fact that it's got it's got the most depth, nearly in in, in any jockey's room around the world I reckon that's the thing like you know the, the top riders from all around the country could go anywhere and be a top rider but I think it's just the the depth that's in the the riding ranks in Sydney at the moment is is um, so strong and, and makes it one of the best in the world it's by far one of the best what, what about a horse like I was just thinking just then um, hot Danish obviously you had a had a pretty good connection with that what was it what was it like winning winning those big races with the horse? Yeah, well, she was probably you know probably one of my. She'll always be one of my favourite horses, um, yeah. just because of what she did for me at that stage of my career. Um, you know, I, I won some group race on her when I was still in my time. Every carnival, she just continued to come back and race at a good level. She'd always win a couple of stakes races got hindered a little bit by wet tracks in a couple of them big races. So probably should have won another couple of group ones, mm. but um, it was obviously a big thrill to, to finally break through and win a, win a couple of group ones on her because yeah, she deserved that. She was a great mare. Um, yeah. One of my, one of my all time favorites. Um, you you obviously would have had a couple of managers in your time. How's, um, how's Tygo as a manager? Is he good? Yeah, he's going great. He um, he's got a real passion for it. Obviously, was in the game for a long time, and so he had that terrible fall. And I think he probably, you know, just the timing of it, how it all worked out, was was really good. I think that, yeah, you know, obviously he couldn't couldn't have done it straight away, but he, you know, he's probably getting to a point that he something needed something to to sort of focus on and. Um, yeah, he, he loves he loves doing it. Um, he does a really good job, and I think he gets that he gets great satisfaction out of watching, you yeah. know, Josh and I or Jimmy now um, ride winners. So, gives him that um, yeah, it gives him that winning feeling. And um, yeah, we've been been good friends for a long time. Yeah, Ty and Aaron lived above me when um, when I was in Hong Kong. So. Yeah, we've been been good mates for a long time, and it's uh, it's working well um, with him doing it at the moment. It's such a cool thing. I'm so glad that he's doing this, so he can stay in the game and stay with his mates and share the winners and all that sort of stuff too. Um, your partnership with the with Gay Waterhouse is obviously it must be about ten years now, I assume. You've got a, I guess you've got a bit of a people people know you as a really good front running rider, setting the tempo, understanding the tempo really well. Um, does that help with gauge horses? It must must suit your racing style, right? Yeah, it does. Obviously, um, I've ridden a bit for Gay before I went overseas, and then um, when I come back, 
started writing a bit of work for her. So, yeah, that, that was sort of a bit over nine years ago when I come back from Hong Kong. So it took, yeah, it definitely took two or three years for me to sort of start getting more and more rides out of the stable. She obviously, I think, Nash, Tommy, Blake at certain times were, were ahead of me. So then just how it worked out, I was sort of back in line a bit. But, yeah, over the past sort of probably six or so years, it's it's been, yeah, the, the partnerships become stronger and stronger and you obviously get to do the the bulk of uh, her and Adrian's riding, I guess, and which I'm very lucky to be in that position. And mm. definitely it's um, it's not a position that I sort of take for granted either. You know, I still, you know, try and work really hard within the stable and within, you know, on my riding to, to main, you know, maintain, maintain that. So, but it, it, you know, it seems to, seems to fit really well. Their style and my style seem to, yeah, seems to go together really well. So we're having a bit of fun at the moment. We're having a bit of luck. So long mate, continue. You take the luck out of the equation, Dibby, and we, I think we love that. And as a part, I genuinely appreciate it. Is it your preferred style, I guess, leading in, you know, taking luck out of the equation or do you like the challenge of, I mean, every animal is obviously different, but your riding style obviously dictates that way, especially with Gay and Adrian's training the way they train horses. So do you prefer to be out front or do you like the challenge, I guess, from coming from way back in the field and all that kind of thing? Uh, look, I obviously I, I don't want to be just a, a one-trick pony, but I definitely, um, yeah, I enjoy enjoy that style for sure you know being up on speed controlling your own destiny you know like you you're the one that's getting the tempo of the races right so if, if you go too quick well then you're helping the back markers if you go too slow it might not suit gain adrian's horses so it's not always just about getting to the front and you know there is some as you know there's an aspect of getting a getting the tempo right where one you know, your horse is in a good rhythm and your horse is suited and and two that, you know, you're not going too slow where you're inviting people to, you know, other horse to come whipping around and, and putting the pressure on. So, and obviously, you know, I, I know the horses really well. I, I know what they're capable of as well and, and what they need, like whether, you know, you know, a strong horse, you know, he might be able to build the tempo up a bit further away, you know, a bit further out from home and, and really sort of break their horses behind him, break their hearts a bit where, you know, like a horse like Alligator Blood, I was, you know, not necessarily went overly fast on him, but just got him in a nice rhythm where he's got a really good turn of foot. Like he ran, you know, 11, 11, 1, 10, or something yeah. for two furlongs there. So he can, really? he can really, really quicken. But there's some horses that from uh, a fair way from home, you need to be building it up because they, they can't sort of necessarily run them like 11s, but they can run 11 and the high 11s and but maintain that for, you know, three or four furlongs. I think you're definitely not a one-trick pony, but having the just having that knowledge to set the tempo, like you said, and not have someone fly past you, not have someone come up inside, and the alligator blood one was, you know, proof in the pudding on the weekend because having, having Moanga up and annoying you, having Zaki on the outside, like, yeah, it was a it was a cracker. Um, I want to me- I want to mention your pub. So when did you get involved with the Joker, mate? How'd that come about? Yeah, so that was probably um, three years ago or so. Uh, just a uh, a mate that 
was that he's got actually got shares in a few horses. He sort of mentioned to me, this is sort of what he was thinking. And at the time, obviously pre-COVID, you know, Jade and I, my wife, we, um, we used to, you know, love going for dinner on a Saturday night after the races, sort of dinner and a few drinks and thought, well, you know, that suits, uh, you know, to have a place that, you know, that's sort of out or we've got a small share in, but we can go to in Terrigal where sort of we live around the area. So, yeah, that's sort of how it got involved and just sort of spoke to to Joel a bit more about it and, yeah, liked the idea. So, yeah, got involved and obviously it's, it's really it's been fun at times with some good functions and nights out and all that there, but obviously uh, parts that have been been tricky with the COVID and lockdowns and all that as well. But uh, it's, it's interesting just doing something different and sort of outside the box to – to have a bit of involvement in and, and see how that all, all sort of runs. Safe to say you'd rather be drinking the beers than serving the beers, which is, I think, all of us. <laughs> have you ever thought about what you wanted to do after a career? I mean, you've got plenty of time, obviously, still in the jockey's room and everything else, but have you thought about which angle you'd like to take? Yeah, I, I, I guess I still, yeah, I still want to do something and, and, you know, once I do retire, whenever that might be, you know, I've, I've been involved in, in the industry for, you know, so long. It's I still want to be involved with horses yeah. or doing something with horses. So maybe maybe something on the, the adjustment side of things and mm-hmm. having a little having a little property is probably probably the avenue that sort of looked to go down. My my daughter's twelve and she's mad into the, the horses, so she's uh she's got a pony at the moment and does a bit of show jumping and that sort of thing. So I think that it's going to be hard to sway her away from sort of that. So, yeah, a little a little horse property is probably uh, probably something that we'd look into. Definitely, definitely. We, my mum actually trains a lot of um, like show jumping horses. We've got Clydesdales and X race horses and all this sort of stuff. It's very cool. A lot of twelve year olds, a lot of girls in primary school use the use our area. So, I want to touch on one thing. Is we've mentioned to it people in the past especially jockeys is the impact of social media so uh i guess when you started you wouldn't have had to deal too much with the abuse and whatever you can cop online right so for these apprentices that are 18 to 21 or whatever that are coming through it's a racing twitter for example can be toxic you can be tim clark wins race one you are absolutely everyone's hero everyone's giving you a rap whatever the second race doesn't go according to plan, you get caught up, whatever, and everyone's just absolutely getting stuck into you and giving abuse and all this stuff. And it can get really extreme. Like we've seen examples with other jockeys where it can get to the absolute vulgar stuff about family and all this sort of stuff. So have you noticed any of the young ones sort of going through this sort of crap or having to deal with it? Because you always probably wouldn't have had to deal with this. A lot of the guys in the Sydney room didn't deal with it when you were young, but you're, you're, you're adults now, you've, probably, you've been in the game a long time, can probably cop it a bit better. But is it something you've noticed or seeing the, the young guys going through? Well, I think, as you said, like I think uh, just in general, the whole thing, it can be so savage and said very toxic. So, um, yeah, I, I, thankfully, you know, that wasn't uh, something I had to deal with coming through. But obviously you, you get it now. And as you said, like now that I'm sort of a bit older, I obviously can deal with that a lot better. But um yeah i think it you know it definitely has an effect on the younger guys 
uh, don't know. I, I, I don't know what the answer is though. Obviously, you know, like you know, people do you look are, at social media much. Like, do you read much of it? Do you see much of it? Do you care? Uh, yeah, too much to yeah. be honest. Um, uh, yeah, I look at it. I don't really, as I said, I, I don't really care too much. Uh, well, I don't get. It doesn't hurt me or upset me when people want to give me a bake about a ride mm. anymore. You know, if anything, I I laugh I laugh at them really, and yeah. But the the younger guys, because you know, there's a saying like it's so strong the room at the moment for these young guys. They've got to. I think they've got it harder now. It's harder for them now to yeah. to break through into the in in sort of metropolitan areas now. So to have that on top of that when they're that you know it, it's not ideal for them and hopefully that you know they're not looking at it too much and you know i think that if they're getting the advice off the right people in the game like other jockeys or their their boss um if they can just focus on on that and not sort of try and put that sort of outside noise yeah. away and, and don't read into it too much i think you know like we all you know we all give them sore backs from time to time no you know no no doubt no one's uh no one's gonna give give them perfect rides every every time so as long as yeah as long as the other guys like you know obviously dylan tyler that are coming through reese jones they're Mm. all good riders and you know they're all got good they're all got good bosses and if you know if they just listen to the right people and and try and block out that that outside noise, hopefully they, they should be all right. It's hard though. Like you said, they're young and you said you look too much. Like when it comes to a Saturday night and you're lying in bed, you look at your phone and you go, and at the end of the day, I think, I think we spoke to Tommy about it and Tommy's like, we don't ever go out to ride a bad ride. Things can happen. We're riding. It's not an easy thing that we do. And often, often as a jockey, sometimes you're pissed off that things didn't go around this, go, go the way you wanted as well. Right. So I just think it's. I think it's so tough. When you look at Twitter, for example, out of all the social media, it can be so savage. Like, and the the, the way that people can change from one race to the next is that this jockey's my hero, then this jockey is a complete tosser, and I hate him, and he should never ride again. And anyway, I find it really interesting how you guys deal with that sort of stuff because it's not the same as I guess footy players pop it with not scoring a try, dropping the ball, and whatever. But obviously, people you got you're dealing with people's hard earned on an everyday basis, these footy players are dealing with it once a week right in the game. So it's um it's another thing. Yeah. But, well there's yeah. so many there's a lot of variables too that go into to to the racing. As you said, like we all go out there we're all going out there to try and win. So, you know, we want to give them the best ride we can. But yeah, there's there's a lot of variables that I think a lot of the people that get on Twitter and and want to have a go at you I just don't think they understand, you know, everything, every aspect about what goes into it or what, you know, they don't understand what a certain jockey is thinking at a certain time. Like, and, you know, you can, you know, like with so much going into it, barriers, track conditions, track bias, you know, there's so much going on. And, you know, I think the people that are, that are genuinely handing out the abuse, they've just had their heart on thinking that horse will win them. Yeah. probably barely ever watch the race and then yeah. you're they, making they want to give you a spray for just for not winning it's the same when you know you guys don't ride a mount out but you've got genuine excuses i mean you guys are trying to 
you've got a hard earning job to work on yourself as well. So the the pundits can you know get stuffed really. I think it's just it's a two way street. It's pretty much how I see it, and it's well received in my eyes how you guys cope with it. So keep doing well. What you're doing. I think that you know deep down you know if you've given one a bad ride, no, you know yeah. like we don't need we don't need a uh, hundred people on Twitter or something telling us, but saying that there could be there could be other factors that sort of led or, or you know to to that but um they said i think best way it is to just to laugh it off really i think when you when they have um things like the jockey cam and you actually experience what you guys are looking at and the absolute split second tiny little gaps you're getting you're also the only industry or only job in the world that has an ambulance follow you around do you know what i mean so there's so much going on that people can you know, carry on about one little thing when literally we all know what can happen at the split second in a in a race. It's one of the dangerous jobs in the world. So, good man, take it. Good life that you don't take it too hard. But no. I, hope the, I hope the apprentices don't take it too hard because some of the stuff I read is so fucking. Let's look at some races this weekend. So we're finally getting in. Obviously, this is your bread and butter when you get to your spring and autumns and stuff, right? So. You've got a couple of rides this weekend. I know Kohai here was a bit interested to hear about um, Perfect Proposal in the gym crack. Koei, any questions? Uh, well, I've got notes for all all six rides or seven rides that Tim's got this weekend. But, yeah, I guess it, the first two-year-old race of the year, it's always, you know, it's where we start figuring out the future plan come autumn, come, you know, the next carnival, so to speak. And, this perfect proposal, I mean, with the China Horse Club colours and Gay and Adrian once again, that, it looked real smart. And the the time that it recorded was very was the fastest over the day, both uh, over the distance and the last 600. So I just wanted to hear how you felt on board it. Yeah, she was terrific. So, yeah, obviously the two-year-olds there, you know, you can have them one minute and they're gone the next. But uh, I haven't been on it since that trial, but from more reports, she's gone ahead really well she's done well since the trial and yeah I think on that day yeah the, the times are pretty important like um and she was able to run the fastest time of the day you know with a little bit up upper hand upper sleeve so yeah she's gonna be mighty hard to beat on Saturday I think she's she's favorite and deserves to be favorite on what she's shown at the trials um she's real racy type really straightforward filly and um yeah, whatever beats or wins. I think I think the most like, what I like to see in two year trials, especially if it's their first ever trial, like it was on that day, is you gave her a hit with a shillelagh and she was still running straight and she was she looked like a ready made galloper. So is that how you kind of saw it as well? Yeah, and, and obviously you know, Gay and Adrian, they you know they're great with their two year olds, and um, I'm sure you know she's really well really well educated. Uh, pretty. She seems a really straightforward filly. Just jump and jumps and runs and does everything you ask of her. So, yeah, obviously in the two year olds, the you know that's sort of really important that they do do the little things right. And she seems to be uh, yeah pretty straightforward and and ready to go for for Saturday. And what about? I know you've got Lunsies, but what I want to mention was the uh, scientist. So I think it's race five or six or something. Um, you were aboard last start. I think it was the farm when you had a winner. What are your thoughts this weekend? Yeah, really well bred colt. He, um, big, strong, big, strong fella. I think there's a bit of form that's come out of his his win at, yeah. at Warwick Farm as well. 
Um, obviously, stepping up to a mile is going to suit him. He seems like he'll he'll rally stepping out to a mile. Obviously, maiden straight into listed grade is a big jump. But, um, yeah, he's a, he's a really nice horse that he's come a long way in a, in a short short period of time. Um, whether he can take that that jump straight into listed grade, well, you know, it remains to be seen. But he uh, it looks a nice race for him to, to have a crack at, that's for sure. I just want to go back to Lunsies, as Zach just mentioned. Do you have any idea if it's going to stay up here or if it's going to go down Victoria Way? I, I don't. I, I no idea. So I've I've actually I've never sat on him before. Yep. Um, obviously, he ran well first up in a in a week, Cameron. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I guess whether they're looking at the weather. I reckon. You know, Flemington will be pretty dry, yep. and Ramwick's probably going to be pretty wet. So whether that sways them one way or the other, I'm not sure. They're expecting a stack of rain. They're already supposed to be raining, but. Still not here, but there's um they're expecting a ton of rain. You're riding North Star Lass. Um, look, it's been backed already today, but you're up against Fireburn, She's Extremes, and Gotcha, those horses as well. Uh, I think it was last rose, the T Rose came fourth, but before that you won the Furious Aboard. Um, what do you reckon? How is it gonna go? Especially if it's gonna be a bit of a heavy trap. How can you tell if it's if it's raining there or not? You look like you're in a dungeon with all these screens everywhere. You like looks like you're a long way from day. Looks like you're a long way from daylight. It's my it's my little background here. I've got my own tab at my house. Actually, it's one of the great backgrounds, isn't it? Got a fridge behind me as well. You can't see. Um, uh, yeah, no, she's she's a really nice filly. I've always felt that she was going to be a really good flight stakes chance, and um, she was able to win that race. Uh, the furious, furious, or I think furious. it was, yeah, on the really heavy track. So track conditions with her. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Just think that that really hard run on that track, on that heavy track that day, just took a bit of speed out of her legs for the T rows. Probably wasn't quite, um, probably hadn't quite got over the, the run, maybe. And so I think, you know, now that she's had another run, she's up to the mile. She should be, uh, this is the race that sort of, She's been trained for, and I think Gay's won about 10 flight stakes or more, something, yeah. some ridiculous number. So, including last year. And yeah, she'll she'll give a great sight. She'll look the winner for a long way, I reckon. So, happy with the mile, I guess? Happy with the mile, and we'll find out <laughs> who else is going to be strong at the mile come Saturday. We'll see who's the last man standing. Or last Philly standing. Good. Sounds sound confident. Um, the Premier is an exciting one. I know one of Coey's favourite horses going around in Special K. Coey, uh, take this one away. Well, I did some reading and um, I don't. it's another one that I think Timmy hasn't ridden before, even at track work is my understanding. Um, so I'm guessing, have you been in touch with someone like Nash or something like, like with the Cummings team or something like that, Timmy? Oh, I haven't, haven't yet. So he's obviously... Uh, He's been around a while, Kementari, and he's had a few pilots, but it'll be first time for me getting on him this weekend. Um, what would Nash say? <laughs> he likes to take, he likes tight, he can take a tight run if, if yeah. needed. I know that. Love um, but he ran, he ran pretty well first up with a big weight. 
I think exactly. the weather suits as well, Timmy. I think just the fact that it was just one of those things that it was untried for so long that, that oh, it has to be on top of the ground, has to be on the top of the ground. But mm. as soon as they ran her on a soft seven heavy eight, it sprouted wings and it started winning again. So I think the conditions, well, I mean, I think rain will be nice for it, I'm guessing. Yeah, obviously there's a uh, few there, obviously on a on you know their final lead-ups before the Everest. Thought lost and running an enormous first up, but he probably doesn't want it too wet. Marzu overpass ran well first up as well. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, without nature strip there, obviously, but it's still going to be a pretty strong race and he would need to run near his best, I guess, to, to be in the finish. Who's your tip for the Everest? Dry track. I reckon lost and running can beat nature strip. If wow. things, if, yeah, I, I think Nature Strip's the the horse to beat, no doubt. Deserved favourite, absolute weapon. Probably a bit more. He's obviously a lot more tractable now. And but if Lost and Running could get into a position where he could stalk Nature Strip and sort of have his back, sort of throughout the race, um, I wouldn't be shocked to see him get over the top of him. Especially how well he went first up. He was four wide from the half mile working the other day. Thought it was a big run. Huge run. What do you, what do you think of a horse like Jackano? What do you think of the win on the weekend? Ah, uh, yeah, really good win. Um, obviously, yes, 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 dumb. Or it didn't win the Rose, but then went back to the, the 1,200 and won the Everest. Yeah. Uh, you'd have to say Jackano was probably more impressive um, winning the Golden Rose. Yeah. Whether, whether the bunch, the, the three-year-old crop this year are as strong as they were, you know, when Yes, Yes, Yes and Bivouac were running. I'm, I'm not sure, but they're, they're sort of flying, Mick Price and Mick Kent. Um, so wouldn't wouldn't uh, question them, you know, bringing back to 1,200. And, and it looks a bit of X, X factor, I guess. I guess it's, um, we've just had all these sort of the same sort of horses sort of for a few years now it's nice to have a bit of fresh blood there i guess yeah you'll converge in the epsom so chances um he was really disappointing first up but i surprised on that heavy track really heavy track he just didn't handle it and didn't go um yeah. i i expect him to do a little bit more the other day i would have loved to see him finish a couple of lengths closer the other day um, the main concern with him is the, the tracks. Uh, said this morning, I was on radio this morning, and the track got to a five. I think he can win. His work Tuesday morning suggests he could win. He uh, he flew there Tuesday morning. I reckon he's just starting to, you know, come to his peak. But the track's the big concern. And the last race, you got Sacramento going around in the Metro. Um, what was the last run? What was the last one that had in at Newcastle? What was the last run, Sacramento? Yeah, he went from a mile to twenty three hundred at Newcastle, so probably just got found out a little bit. Um, has to make up a bit of ground on Durston, though. Um, he sort of won pretty impressively at Newcastle. He's obviously one of the favourites. So, yeah, big sack. He has to make up a few lengths to to be uh, competitive with him, but said he was jumping in distance a long way there at Newcastle, so he, he can improve off that. Is he going to be up on the speed, Timmy? He tried to. He um he was a bit lethargic there at Newcastle the other day. It took him a while to 
to get into gear. So hopefully he can um, begin a bit better and put himself right up there. Let's say, um, haven't had a look at it. Didn't look a, a heap of pressure there in the Metro. Um, most of them are middle or worse of midfield, I'd say, at, at this stage, how I'm at it anyway. So, yeah, I'd say Grove Ferial, obviously, come across as well from out wide. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't feel there was a heap of speed, so I'd be trying to be pretty positive on on my bike to get him up there and sort of get him interested. He's pretty casual, so put him in the race. Great, Barry was good on the weekend. Excellent. Um, awesome. Five weeks between runs, uh, up in trip over race for the first sort of three furlongs, uh, but uh, toughed it out really well late. Yeah, he's. Um, I actually won that race last year on Entente and then got beat a lip in the Metrop behind Montefilia. So, uh, yeah, I think Grove Ferry, you know, can can run well off, off the same sort of similar sort of prep. I love it how, as a punter, you can remember when you just lost something, right, like years ago, but jockeys can do this exactly the same thing. They're like, lost an absolute lip this time two years ago, whatever. So, still sticks in the big, Especially in the big ones, yeah. <laughs> especially still hurts. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, Coe, you got any more? Uh, I was going to ask him if he was looking forward to anything returning or a horse that we should be keeping an eye on, that kind of regard. But otherwise, outside of that, not so much. Look, uh, in the Congo, is going to Melbourne. So I'll be riding him when he goes down there, maybe Manicato. So I'll be there that hopefully, night. Hopefully he can, um, he can sort of get back to a bit of his old form. But uh, apart from that, looking forward to seeing how this two-year-old performs on the weekend and uh, and then getting back down to Caulfield the following week when Alligator Blood goes head-to-head with Animo. That's going to be exciting. Well, I'm going to be Manicato and Cox Plate Day, so I'll see you get the double that day, mate. So you get one both days. That'll be nice. But thank you for joining me. Um, it's been good. I really like it when the jocks can get on here and, you know, we can see a different side to you guys besides, you know, straight after a race getting interviewed. So it's a bit different. Uh, beauty, not any time. Really enjoyed it. Always, uh, always up for a chat. Beautiful. Thanks, Timmy. Cheers, guys.